Hey, welcome back for another episode of the Sharpen Podcast. I'm your host, Kirby Green, and Sharpen exists to sharpen young professionals for the workplace and beyond. Before we get to today's conversation, I'd like to remind you to check out our Facebook, Instagram, and our YouTube channel. Be sure to leave us a rating so other young professionals can find the Sharpen Podcast. I think purpose is important no matter sort of what circumstance that we're in. I think too, to just contextualize this a little Mm -hmm. bit, we are in a season of significant uncertainty. And so a little bit of our bearings have been disrupted. And so how do you find purpose in the context of that? I think that there is a more planful space in future time horizons where things have stabilized more. And maybe you've sort of like uncovered your purpose at that point and you can start to plan forward. But I think that right now, given the context that we're in, that asking the question of purpose is important. Well, if you've listened to the Sharpen podcast for a while, or if this is your very first time, know that it is our mission to sharpen young professionals for the workplace and beyond. And that mission still exists to this day in light of COVID-19. What we wanted to do was bring an episode for young professionals in the first 10 years of a career, an episode on making sense. Uh, Today, we have a returning guest, Wes. Uh, I'm going to link the article he originally shared on LinkedIn. It certainly caught my attention and it was it was an article that resonated and it also felt like it gave some direction. If you're like me as a young professional, this is a time of uncertainty and it's also a time uh, to have on display hope. And we're going to talk about that and much more. So let's just get right to it. Here's my conversation with Wes. Well, I'm so glad to welcome you back, Wes, to the Sharpen podcast. We'll link your previous episode on the art of listening. But for today's conversation, welcome back to the Sharpen podcast. Thanks for having me. We're so glad to have you. As you know, we love to hear a little bit about who you are, first and foremost, and then the work that you do. Yeah, I am a dad of two kids, Graham and Lily two-year-old and a four-year-old. And I'm married to my wife, Rachel, to be eight years this year. We live in Fishers. She stays at home with the kids. And what I do for a living, um, I'm a leadership consultant with a group called Kairos. And um, it's a really interesting firm. Um, We work with CEOs to help them build executive teams um, that drive company growth and leadership transformation company-wide. That's the work that I do at Kairos. And We typically do work um, that's maybe a little bit different than what you might get with other kind of leadership development firms is uh, we do what's called deep coaching. And so we really dig down into like we use the Enneagram, for instance, um, to help people realize what their help people realize what their compulsions might be and then how to overcome what those compulsions are um, so that they can work best in the context of a team and show up for one another in a way that's helpful and generative and effective. So yeah, that's the work that I do. Well, we're excited today for you to do some deep coaching with us. And so we'll let you practice on our Sharpen audience here, as I know you're well-versed, but you do have a super interesting and meaningful uh, group of work there that you do. So thank you for that. Wes, I reached out to you because you had a wonderfully written article on LinkedIn about making sense. And so as you know, our audience is young professionals in the first 10 years of a career and Gosh, I don't know about you, but when you're in that stage, you spend a bulk of that time thinking, you know, what the heck's going on here when you're the new kid in a company or in a role? And now we find ourselves probably asking that same question, but obviously far more significant in light of what's going on in our world with the coronavirus. And so I wanted to have you on to share a little bit of your message. And as we go into this, we want to make sure that we just upfront say, hey, like, number one, we're not 
acting as if we have the answers here for sure. Um, or that I'm even asking the right questions and you're, you know, so, and then number two, we're not trying to go about this in a way that would be tone deaf to what's going on by narrowing in say young professionals. Right. So, right. Uh, but what we do want to do is use this as an opportunity for this specific audience to give direction and hopefully what is a little bit of a reframing for the mm -hmm. current experience that everyone's going through yet super drastically different across the board. So I would just love for you to share with us today. You know, you talked about a couple of things in your article that were key areas to go about reframing. And the first one was stillness. Can you share with us a little bit about what that could look like and what that even means? Because I think all of us probably feel like time is standing still or going super crazy fast in light of what's going on. Right. Yeah. Um, so just to kind of underscore what you said, Kirby, and I appreciate the way that you framed this up. It was perfectly framed actually. So I don't have any answers. I don't pretend to have any answers. And really the point of this article was to just open-handedly offer some, some reframes that, that might be an encouragement to yeah. anybody that's reading it. So when it comes to stillness, like I had written there, I think fear can put us in a place of fight or flight and it can get us, our emotions worked up um, it can get us anxious. And I think what stillness, well, really it's it's what this time has caused us to experience right now in terms of stillness, those of us who are working from home um, in particular, is that finding that place really inside of yourself where you can listen and be mm -hmm. still and start to make sense. So, you know, it's, it's actually pretty, I don't want to say well accepted, but I think if you tend to look at any of the literature, you might see that when it comes to thinking well, and when it comes to making sense and the creative process in general, that if you take breaks throughout the day and do something that might seem somewhat mindless, you're creating new connections in your brain that you wouldn't have otherwise been able to mm -hmm. make. So if you take a walk or if you think about like, the thoughts that you get in the shower or whatever else is like you get those moments of, of sense making that occur like within just that time of stillness. So that that's one piece to it. I also think that there is a piece to it of how do you get to know yourself in the context of not having as many people around you? I'm going to dip into the Enneagram a little bit if that's okay, but like- 100%. So Cool. So I'm an Enneagram four. So in this season, I think space that is um, particularly important for me to remember is solitude within that stillness, because fours tend to have kind of a, a compulsive tendency to perform and to be seen and to be validated. And there aren't nearly as many connections that I have to be able to do that now, right? Mm -hmm. So what does it look like to find a place of stillness and centeredness so that I can be my most effective self. And even those who are in jobs that have ramped up and that they are busier than that they've ever been, finding that place of stillness is crucial for them to be effective leaders or effective yeah. employees, effective team members. Because when we start to show up with anxiety, that gets projected to other people that are around us and they can read it. And it it is in itself a different kind of social infection, for lack of a better term. And so for us to be the best for our teams and to be the best for our coworkers, finding a non-anxious presence within ourselves can be, I think, something that is healthy and generative for us. Absolutely. One piece of this too is we have access to more information than we've ever had before. I don't know about you, but I have felt bombarded with communications. And I saw like a, a meme around 
oh, I'm really glad every rewards group hotel I've ever stayed at has something is now sending me their email of communication of their plan of action. Important to communicate yeah. that to your customers, right? But there is this overload, even statistics of this is the information going on in this country. And so I think the, the cornerstone of what you share with us is to start by reframing with that stillness because we have so much information that what we're trying to do to go back to the whole theme is to make sense of it all. And you can't do that unless you're still for a little bit. Yes, I totally agree. And I think what's interesting about that, Kirby, is I think it was maybe at the beginning of last week where there was this onslaught of information, all the emails that you just described, the news was changing daily. And it is to some extent, but I think that things have at least slowed down at least in my mind they have. And one of the things that I found myself having to do was to actually stop reading the news a little bit and to spend less time there because of how negative it is. And so like drawing back and starting to ask myself, and I think other people in my circles are also asking themselves, like, how do you find wisdom in the midst of all of the information? And so I'm actually kind of hopeful in terms of the way that we are starting to sense make and that maybe I have a limited perspective in my network and whatever, but like, I, I feel like we're starting to ask good fundamental questions, mm. which to me is like, we, we've gone through firing out information as fast as we possibly could and exchanging it as fast as we possibly could to becoming more discerning now about what information is valuable and what information is not. And so I think even just having that filter in place as individuals, but like, even if I look around and see it, people are starting to look, be more judicious about the information that they're consuming yeah. and um, trying to find more novelty in the conversations that they're having that, that says to me that we're starting to build new mental models for how to understand the world that we're in. So I'm hopeful in that regard. And yeah, so going back to the stillness piece, like in a time where things are so uncertain and things seem to be changing, like change is a pretty good certainty though. Like you can expect that change is a a certainty. <laughs> what do you choose to consume? Or in this case around stillness is to not consume, like is not consuming just as healthful as the intake of, of new information? It's a rhetorical question. I don't have a good answer, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say, heck yes, for me, such a good question for all of us to ask ourselves, depending on our personalities and what we are consuming. So one thing you just talked about, you briefly mentioned it, but I think it's really key to the next point where you talk about connection. Mm. So tell us a little bit about that because the message that we hear is social distancing right now. And so I know that we know it's important to connect, but I think that's really hard for folks to think through what that looks like whenever you are talking about groups of 10 or less or all the, all the caveats, right? So I'd love to, I'd love to hear what your encouragement would be to young professionals on connection. I love this particular topic or theme because I believe that we're wired for connection and that we all long and desire to be genuinely connected to other people. And um, conversation is a very good way to be able to do that. <laughs> when there is an era of social distance, I think, or when we hear stay away from people or take action to distance yourself from others, like I'll give you a real quick story here. This morning, my parents had to come by our house to drop something off. And they didn't come inside. They just stayed between the glass. And, you know, my kids ran up to the door and like had their hands on the door grabbing at, you know, grandma and grandpa. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's something that sinks in your heart a little bit because yeah. though you can see them and it's good to like hear their voice in person, there's still a measure of distance you have to maintain between them. And that's just 
that that to me is just a very glaring example of the kind of severance of connection that we're yes. experiencing now for for good reason, right? I mean, it's to maintain the the health and um, safety of those more vulnerable in our population and just everybody in general. So I, I understand the reasons for social distancing, but I think that there is an activeness that we can take to push in the opposite direction and that we can in fact come close to people and really practically like Zoom and FaceTime and phone calls. Like I found myself being much more comfortable with calling people right now and finding whatever excuse to like hop on Zoom real quick with friends. Like we did an ice cream date <laughs> with some friends of ours on Zoom the other night. And I FaceTimed a friend of mine while I was making breakfast, which is not stuff that I would typically do. But I think given the circumstances, there's opportunity to like find new ways to connect in a virtual capacity. And I also think that there is an opportunity here afforded us where um, I think most of us walk around with some sort of mask or armor to hide parts of ourselves to keep from connecting with other people or to keep other people from seeing us or being connected to us in genuine ways. And I think where we're, there's sort of a level setting that is, I feel like is happening where we can be more human and connect with each other in more human and genuine and heartfelt ways and ask each other about their emotions. How often does that happen in a professional setting? You know, how are you feeling today? Or giving space even for um, colleagues to cry in some instances is like that that's where we are and that's what's needed. I also would go further to say, and this connects to the stillness point and the information that we consume, Kirby, is that the connections that we make all have you could call it tones or frequencies or or you know th those are metaphors but like there's a certain way that we connect with one another and it, it's it's the content of the connection that creates culture and so if the content of our connection is anxiety and uncertainty and, which are understandable reactions completely understand that and there's a space for expressing those things but if that's the only tone of our connections then what sort of new culture are are we creating or perpetuating? If you can offer on the other side of anxiety, hope and hospitality and compassion, then I believe that's a creative act and that you're actually starting to, in a way, fight back against what fear is doing to the society or could do to the society in many ways. And so maybe I sound a little bit starry-eyed or overly optimistic or idealistic, but I think hope is a huge deal right now. I love that you even mentioned both hope and creation were a part of that reframing conversation. So speak to, I fully agree, like hope must be a part of the culture that we're creating. And if we think about it too, like we're definitely creating cultures in these virtual kind yeah. of experiences. And so it's really important that we're mindful of that, right? Of how we're interacting with people that does, you know, you want to be real where there yeah. is anxiousness and yet let us be people that spur one another along with that hope. I was on a call with some friends of mine a couple of nights ago and there was kind of an aha moment that we discovered, I guess, in the context of that conversation. Typically thought of hope as something that has been something that is maybe flimsy or mm -hmm. overly touchy-feely and it, it really never had much substance to me. But if the world that we're going into, and I, I don't know, right? We don't know what sorts of suffering that we're going to see in the United States or what levels of suffering we're going to see in the United States or even in our communities, our neighborhoods, our families. We don't know that sort of suffering. If you enter that, hope is what allows you to persist in that. And so hope is actually a very tough word. I think 
Oh, I like that. I think hope fundamentally contains suffering, but it assumes that the narrative is going to end in redemption. You can Say go- that one more time. Say that one more time for our audience. Yeah. So I think that hope fundamentally contains suffering, but the difference is that the narrative fundamentally ends in redemption. Yeah, that's good. And so I think that that's what we can offer is in those conversations. That's attention, right? Is like, there's people that are scared and worried right now. And there are people that are hurting right now. How can you both honor their, where they're at in their journey and be a hopeful presence to say, there is a narrative here that we're a part of (laughs) and there is redemption somewhere, right? There is, Mm -hmm. there is a creative space somewhere along this, this journey that we're on together. And I don't know about you. What I've learned, Wes, is that changing out that word, but, and using the word and really helps me do that better. Not necessarily, can I say, well, because what it does is it honors where people are in a trial or suffering anxiety and allows for a a pointing toward hope and encouragement and the end of the narrative as you talk about. So for me, that's been a learning. And I think could be just a real kind of quick way for us practically to Mm -hmm. have hope in our conversations. Yeah. And I, you know, that's a good point. And I, you know, I'd not thought about that. And so I'm going to catch myself on that now and ask myself, you know, where am I saying, but instead of, and, and where can I start to say, and more? So that's a good idea. Well, that's just something I always, like, I noticed for me, I'd be like, but, and mm-hmm. then you're trying to point to it. And it's like, that's just not helpful actually. Right. Cause it, what it, it just devalued what you just said and their experience. Right. But yet yeah. you don't want to not point to the, the encouragement or the hope. This was also in your article, which by the way, folks, as you're listening, we will post this in show notes. So you can also read that, have it as a resource, but you've mentioned several times you've used a form of the word either creating or mm-hmm. creation or create. So talk about that a little bit more and why that's por- important to where we are kind of right now in this moment. You've talked about, you talked about creating a culture of hope. You've talked about creating connections, but I've heard that word pretty frequently today. When I think about creativity or the act of creation, I mentioned in the article that God created order out of disorder. He turned disorder into order through an act of creation. I mean, I just look at that and I don't know all the theological depths that that might contain, but um, it seems like there's something there to pay attention to. And I think by framing the opportunity that we have as creation or creativity and engagement, Um, is that it gives us a sense of agency, is that I don't have to just react and succumb to what's going on in the world around me. Um, There is a limitation and new constraints that I have. And I think that there's something valuable in honoring that sort of larger than us space that we're in right now. Yeah. But I think acts of creation through connecting with one another, I think acts of creation through like, like, what are ways that you can encourage another person? Um, What are other ways that you can like still maintain those bonds and connections, even though that there is a, you know, there's significant distance between us and that you can't be too close to one another. And so in my head, it's just the opportunity. It presents an opportunity here for us to take agency and to not just feel like we're reacting and succumbing to something. Spot on. And you talked about another key part of reframing where we are was purpose. And so I think from what each individual young professional would say that purpose is, and even redefining purposes, right? I was on a forum kind of virtual summit last night and a large, or one key takeaway was you are not your plans. So whenever you 
give value whenever you realize that and don't identify with that. Now to be a leader is to execute and make plans and to be strategic and all those things. However, when we give too much credit to our plans, you devalue yourself and your purpose, right? And from my science, ultimately your creator in that process. And so, but I think that you bring up a good point in purpose. And I'm even curious to what you would say around how this is an opportunity time to really plug into that. If that's really defined for yourself, great. But if not, what could that look like? How do we think through that right now? I think purpose is important no matter sort of what circumstance that we're in. I think too, to just contextualize this a little Mm -hmm. bit, we are in a season of significant uncertainty. And so a little bit of our bearings have been disrupted. And so how do you find purpose in the context of that? I think that there is a more planful space in future time horizons where things have stabilized more. And maybe you've sort of like uncovered your purpose at that point and you can start to plan forward. But I think that right now, given the context that we're in, that asking the question of purpose is important. You know, there's a couple different ways that you could look at it. There was somebody that told me at the beginning of this year, no, 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 last year, 2019, the beginning of 2019, he said, you don't have to impress anybody. Just go work with people who already find value. And that was some of the best advice that I got. And basically what it did is it helped me to actually look around at my immediate surroundings, the people that were kind of already in my network that I already had trust built up with and to reimagine like, okay, well, how can I serve them? How can I make their lives better? How can I increase their influence? Spent probably a good portion of my young adult life trying to figure out what my purpose was by looking out there somewhere. And I think that it's continually come closer and closer to home and to look around and to say like, do you necessarily have to continue to build networks um, stronger and stronger and, and more you know, broader networks? Is that like sort of your mode of operation? Do you steward and honor the relationships that you have? And then it ends up being incidental that the influence of that circle grows and you end up getting um, a bigger network because of it. Like your circle is influential at that point, not just you. And so I think trying to draw a circle around to your initial question, bring it home here for a second. I think that you can find purpose right now in surveying who is in your immediate circle and asking the question, what do you need? Like other person, what is it that you need? Are you okay? How can I help? And knowing that I think everybody, you can assume this, that probably everybody is anxious in some capacity. They have a lot of questions about where they can proceed or how to, how to proceed. They're living in uncertainty. And so offering that question to somebody and then also bringing hope into the equation can go a long way to helping you just find purpose right now. I think last time that we talked, I used an agricultural metaphor. So I'm going to go there again. Yes, <laughs> please do. So I love to garden. And one of the things that I love most about gardening is to try to make the soil as healthy as possible Mm -hmm. so that when you plant the plants in it, that the plants are then healthy and people might celebrate the vegetables and they might celebrate the, the plants themselves, but it's really the soil that does so much of the heavy lifting of what you end up seeing and tasting and, and experiencing. And I would say that right now, maybe if you viewed the situation that we're in as soil, right, which contains Mm -hmm. things that don't look like they contain life, they in fact do. Um, They contain the seeds of life and hope 
and creation and all of these sorts of things. I would say that investing in relationship, investing in building the social bonds between people Mm -hmm. is very much like creating a healthy soil so that when the season comes due to produce, the soil is healthy to produce, to move fast and to execute and take those leadership steps that you need to take when the time comes. But I think that there's no greater opportunity now for teams to bond together as people at a human level. Like there's such a great opportunity to build trust right now by being human that I don't know that we've been afforded in many other circumstances. Oh my goodness. First of all, the very beautiful, I think, illustration, even though hard of where we are right now. So thank you for that. Also to go back to well, and not to go back to you, but you just lighted this whole purpose conversation. Um, don't you think too, there's going to be a lot of thinking around as we start to exist in groups of 10 or less, we are going to really hopefully have a shift in our thinking around purpose. I think there's going to be a renewal of caring in our neighborhoods, a renewal of caring for our families, like what those smaller spheres look like. Because if anything, we've existed in like, like you talked earlier, big network, big spheres, big groups of people, big churches, big meetings, right? And we're going to see such fruit eventually come from that. So I think in light of your statement on purpose, I think we're going to start asking ourselves questions along the lines of like, oh, what have I observed that's happened in these smaller groups that's been really neat and interesting and lively. So there's a book called The Art of Gathering. I don't know if you've read it. it. No. would highly recommend that book. We'll link it in show notes. It would be interesting to go back and read the book now in the context of virtual gathering. But one of the points that is made in that book is that the, the author sort of charts out different scales of groups of people and like what are the different dynamics of intimacy in those different groups of people. And it seems, and this has both been my experience as a part of a team, as well as working with executive teams, is that like the sweet spot seems to be mm-hmm. about six to eight people. Like you can build really strong social capital and people can feel seen and known by each other in that context of about six to eight people. And like you could get up into 10, but I think beyond that, you really start pushing what the bounds of sense making and conversation and communication and just being known and building trust with one another kind of looks like. But I think six to eight tends to be a pretty strong number people. Here's the other thing, Kirby, as I'm I'm thinking about this as well, is um, if you look at the research from Google on what makes up their most innovative and effective teams. So Google did this research and they looked at all their teams and their company and said, okay, you know, what are the characteristics of a team that are the most, the highest producing, highest performing? And the number one thing that they figured out, there's several others, but like the number one differentiator between the two was psychological safety, which means that like I can be seen and known and I can share my most original ideas without fear that they are going to be shot down or Mm. that. I can share of myself. And so like, what is the opportunity now? And so this is where I see so much opportunity for creativity, right? Is like, if there's more psychological safety or opportunity for psychological safety in the context of small groups that we have right now, like how generative can that actually be? Mm -hmm. And I think that just out of dialogue, a lot of really great things can happen. And I think we talked a little bit about this in the friendship podcast as well. And I won't go there because we could just go off on another tangent around friendship, but. No, that that's so good, man. It's just a reminder too of those existing groups, whether we're meeting in person or virtually. And sometimes I think there's a balance in these situations. I don't want to say for comedic relief and it seemed to make light, but one of my coworkers has eight kids. So him yeah. and his wife, 
make 10. And so he was like, all right, guys, it's just us. No one can come over to see our family. And so he was sharing that with the other day, but think about that family unit, right? And many family unions, hopefully that are strengthened. I'd love for you to wrap us up here. Cause I think these two can go quite well together, but a couple of key points that you talked about were rhythms and attending to, hmm. and maybe, maybe they need to be separated there. But I thought what a good reminder. I had a friend that was talking about, she has three kind of elementary school, middle school, high school age children. And she was talking about the importance of having rhythms and not doggedness structure and to be able to keep, you know, like to remind children of the expectations around their work and their household contribution without being overly structured. So there's burnout. Mm-hmm. And I heard that in your message. Can you share a little bit more about that rhythms piece? Yeah, and really just the idea there is, I, again, you articulated very well. Like I think structures are probably too strong of a term that we could use right now. And so I think, yeah. you know, what does it look like to attend to rhythms? And so that could just be in the way that, like, how do you, I'm going to use the word structure, but like, how do you structure your day? Or like, what are the, the rhythms that you have within a particular day? assuming and knowing that things are going to change. But you might know that you want to kind of anchor yourself in a few things, maybe spending time with your family. You may need to recharge with with friends on a virtual call. You know that you have sort of a chunk of time to spend doing work. And so I think what maybe just the suggestion there is you call it structures, you call them rhythms, but like it's to not be too heavy handed with them and to be yeah. open handed because they are going to just assume that change is going to happen. And so you have to have kind of a light touch with them. Yeah. And so hope and anxiety are kind of on the same, are the same sort of category of thing. They're both projections of the future. One is, you know, a better future. And then the other is, you know, an uncertain future and um, kind of a negative projection of the future. And so like when you're anxious, you might be asking yourself, what am I afraid of in the future? And what can I actually know? And if there is something that I don't know right now, how can I go find it out? Like just move in that direction of like gaining clarity with each single step that you can make. And I think that you will, and run towards the anxiety, don't run away from it, like, but also be willing to accept what's, what you can't know. And I think that there is a lot that we can't know right now and that's okay. I think too, with the attending, I think when we're trying to make sense and we're trying to find some measure of certainty, we can get into a frantic sort of frantic or frenetic space where we are either just sending out emails or um, trying to start this or that, or do this or that just to try to grasp some sort of sense. Right. And so I think there's a lot to be said about paying attention to your inner game and what is happening in your inner game. Do you find yourself centered and still and quiet? And that is a very healthy place to move forward and to take steps forward in. Are you clear-eyed? Or do you sense that you are frenetic and grasping or driving in your energy right now? You know, that more driving sort of frame of mind can be helpful as a defense mechanism, but it's not sustainable in the long run for leadership. And it's also not the best for your teams. And so I think what I'm saying here, I, I hope one of the bows that gets tied on this is that my recommendations or my reframes are directed at individuals, but it's not just for the individual. It's you are connected inevitably to a system of people and to a, a group of people, whether it is your family, whether it is your team and whoever it is. And the way that you show up affects that system. And so the opportunity that you have to, to keep your wits about yourself can go a long way to helping other people keep their wits about themselves. Um, and that's kind of one of the fundamentals of leadership. So That's so good. I've heard it said, do you want to be a thermostat or do you want to be a thermometer? 
Yeah. Um, yep. And hey, some days it's okay if you're like, I don't know how well I'm doing on this, but I think just a general awareness will really help us as young professional leaders to be those thermostats, right? Let's let's influence and not just be consumers. Yeah. Kirby, I'm going to flip the script for a second. How are you processing everything? Great question. I've never been asked a question on the podcast before. I wasn't prepared for this. And as an Enneagram 3, I feel like I need to perform now. I had to get the Enneagram moment in. No, uh, truly, thanks for asking. So as you know, I work in agriculture. And so a lot of my lenses, especially in the day-to-day, kind of exist in a couple of worlds. It's um, as an agriculturalist. And so working with farmers, thinking about their safety at the same time, being in an essential industry, making sure they have what they need to plant our crops. You know, when we deplete our grocery stores and then we come back the next day and they're restocked, that's because this core group is is doing their role really well. And so really thinking through how to do that well. And then there's the other space as a parent. I did laugh when you talked about we have the ability to be more human in our teams because I think I've had more of those human moments on virtual calls and conference calls than ever before with having littles at home. Yeah. And it's also been a really, we'll laugh or we'll bond over it, right? Because it's real life situation. But before there was that pressure to have none of that happen, right? Because all systems go. But I think as a parent, the way I'm processing information too is in light of, you know, how do I control the temperature as much as I can to process when there is anxiety and questions of uncertainty yet make sure that this is a time that, I mean, my children are three and five. And so making sure that if they have questions, because they do, why aren't we going to church? Why am I not going to preschool? Why can't I go walk over and give our neighbor a hug who's in the the age bracket that's considered vulnerable. And so just being mindful of that. And so I think right now that's where I'm is thinking through, you know, those lenses. Um, And I think that's also why your article deeply resonated was because you brought me out of kind of a daily grind of just trying to get stuff done Mm -hmm. um, for a little bit into thinking through the hard places and also the opportunity spaces to be like, okay, you know, where, where is the, where is the ability to step in and be a facilitator of hope? And that's one thing I wanted to tell you. Thank you for today. I appreciate that. And, you know, it is people who write typically write better than they live. And mm. I think <laughs> in those podcasts. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. that is, you know, advice to myself as well as others is I hope that it's an encouragement to you and your podcast listeners. Yes. I don't have it all figured out at all whatsoever. And it's, it's a daily thing, but I think we can give ourselves grace. (laughs) So. Well, Hey, I want to thank you Wes for, for joining us again. You are an excellent writer, an excellent guest. And like you said, as a writer or any kind of creative kind of thing, you're typically going about an episode or an essay or whatever it may be sometimes because those are, those are the questions that you have. Right. And so I'm just glad that we get to bring all of our audience in. So thanks for joining us. And uh, I look forward to getting this episode out to everybody. Right on. I appreciate you, Kirby. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Sharpen podcast. Be sure to subscribe, leave us a review. And of course you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube as iron sharpens iron. So one man sharpens another until next time.